The following is a message by Dr. Stephen Baugh of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Be seated, please, and turn to 2 Kings chapter 5 familiar passage, 2 Kings 5. We begin our faculty series on the book of books of Kings. So every Thursday the faculty will rotate doing the books of Kings. We're jumping into a familiar passage, 2 Kings 5, the healing of Naaman. This will also be covered by uh, Professor Julius Kim. But I will be looking at you know, just one aspect of, of it in our brief time, so it won't exactly overlap. Let's turn now and hear the word of the Lord. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl for the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking to quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and his company. And he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. We'll end right there. The passage we read, of course, goes on 
and uh, goes on as part of the series of interactions between God and the kings of Israel in particular. This is a story uh, of history, of course, told in a way that has a lot of subtle points. I actually read the translation a little differently to capture the flavor of that last, of uh, something here in verse 1, uh, and that is Naaman and how he's presented. He's presented at the, as this great and mighty man, <coughs> a man who is exceedingly impressive. But then the stark uh, way it's stated really comes across in the original. He was a mighty man of valor. But then you don't have a conjunction. You, don't, you just have this word, a leper, this stark contrast. Because this mighty man of uh, valor, this mighty general who has been given great success by the Lord, notice, uh, fighting the Lord's people, notice, Uh, is a leper. So he has everything uh, possible, it seems, including leprosy. You see, in this story, we see God's providence. We We see God's hard providence at work for good, for those he loves and cares for. Even people whom he would love and I mean that in the sense of he is determined to love and bring into his fold and confess his name like Naaman. So uh, you should see Naaman as someone who has everything, including leprosy, from the Lord because it was the Lord's gift to him to bring him low so that he could bring him high and bring him both healing physically particularly as a sign of his conversion. Now, I only read a little bit of the latter story. I know that you're familiar with that passage, how it goes on, and he's, he says, I, I will only worship the God of Israel, uh, but may the Lord forgive me when I have to conduct my official duties, etc. Um, but it's adequate from what I read because he makes a clear confession of faith. He says, I know that there is no God in all the earth But the Lord, this is a clear confession of faith. This is the high point of Naaman's life. This is why Naaman was given leprosy, to bring him to that stage. Now, you all know, you know, in reading this story, how the uh, arrogance of this man that appears to be warranted is displayed here. Of course, with his anger at the fact that he has to go to this a river that he despises among a people that he raids often and successfully, uh, this little muddy river that compares not at all to the wonderful rivers up north. I'm particularly sympathetic with that. Uh, I don't know why. But the, uh, uh, the rivers of Damascus are beautiful. They're, they're well, this is a, a very pleasant city. If you've never studied about Damascus, it was uh, situated in a very pleasant area. <clears throat> These rivers brought real refreshment to the city. They were part of its beauty and charm, uh, as well as making it a, uh, basically a tropical paradise or a semi-tropical paradise. So uh, this man had his prejudices, but you could say, well, rightly so. 
Uh, he was a mighty man before his king. But the uh, record here indicates who's really at work in Naaman, and it's, it's God. You see, this is really a story about God, isn't it? We heard from our president in his opening address a week ago how in passages like this, we often think of ourselves and put ourselves in as the main characters in these stories. But the main character here is really God. He's behind, uh, he's behind the scenes working for his own good purposes, which for Naaman is his salvation. You see, the Lord has given him these victories, but it is understood the Lord has given him this uh, leprosy. And that actually comes out in the, uh, another character's confession of disbelief, the king of Israel, the one who should be confessing the Lord to the whole earth, says, am I God to heal the leper? You see, he confesses that God can heal the leper. But that's the only right thing he says because he is confessing disbelief in God. Who is the one who confesses the Lord in this passage to accomplish the Lord's good purposes? You see, it's the king of Israel's office to do that. He's the one who is the shepherd of God's people who preserves and guides them, protects them, as well as uh, advances the cause of the Lord on earth in this time. He is the officer in the church, as it were, in the time when the church and, and civil government were joined together in ancient Israel. And he's the one to confess the name of the Lord. But this king, who's not named here, it's clear that he does not confess the Lord. Well... I'm going to leave some of this uh, to be explored later with Professor Kim. But it is quite interesting how you have Naaman, who uh, appears to have everything and has the one thing needful in God's providence, and that's leprosy. And then you have the one who is to proclaim the name of the Lord in the world who doesn't, But God in his providence will not be frustrated. God in his work will not be turned aside from his good purposes. And so he points a little girl. He appoints the weak and harmless and persecuted of the earth. Probably the most uh, unexpected person in the whole world at that time to accomplish his good purpose. The real hero of this story, besides God, of course, is a heroine, and it's this little slave girl. I'd just like you to go away today meditating upon this slave girl and her circumstances. You know, it says that she was carted off by raiders from Syria. We're not told that Naaman himself was responsible. Maybe he wasn't. But... You know, it doesn't take much imagination to think about how that actually happened. And, it, you know, in my mind, I just don't have any doubt that that meant that her family was wiped out. At the very least, they were carted off into slavery and separated. We're not told that she had any family left. But I would, I 
would certainly imagine the way things go. You actually can read chapter 6 and read it between the lines as well. There's an episode there that, that shows that uh, these two warring groups normally just killed off their captives, except for those they took into slavery. But her parents were probably just wiped out. So here's, here's someone who had every right to hold a grudge against her captives. Here's someone who had nothing anymore. Everything was taken away from her. And she was carted off into slavery, who had every reason to hold it against God in his harsh providence against her. And she doesn't. She's the one who confesses the Lord in her situation. No matter how hard it is, she, it, look what she says. She has nothing but love to her master. The one that she, in all reasonableness, had a right to hold a grudge and to withhold that knowledge of the potential f- uh, healing that Naaman could have. But she doesn't. And notice how she puts it. Oh, that my master would go to the... Because there's a prophet in the Lord who would cure him of leprosy. She knows of the prophet. It's her first thought is the prophet of the Lord because she looks to the Lord for all good things. And even in her situation confesses him before the world and then she becomes an instrument by God's good appointment an instrument for a marker in redemptive history to God's working of the gospel uh, that would be that would move out beyond the bounds of Israel you know you have to read this episode in light of what Jesus says in Luke 4 and in Luke 4, when, when Jesus was rejected by his own hometown, he says, a prophet is not held in esteem by, in his hometown. And he goes on to name a couple of episodes about Elisha, Elijah and the drought, and only the widow outside of Israel was provided for. And then he mentions Naaman. There were many, there were many uh, lepers in Israel at the time, but only Naaman was healed. Now, the way Jesus says that makes it really clear. God only healed Naaman for a purpose because it was looking at this king who does not profess the Lord through the prophet. God, in judgment, started pushing outside the boundaries of Israel. And really, it's an anticipation of the gospel. It's, you can read the same thing in, in uh, Paul in Romans. He talks about the hardness of Israel will accomplish the redemption of the people outside of Israel, and of course, then they will be stirred to jealousy and come in as well. This is the first inkling of that, and God's purpose to do that. But when you're reading this passage, don't neglect this little girl, because God had given her a good providence, no matter how, how, how hard it looked. And how hard it was for her to experience it. And let's not discount that. The providence of God can be very hard. There is great evil in the world and we will experience it. There is great trial and sometimes darkness of soul and anguish that we will experience. But in the midst of these things, 
we have to remember that God is secretly at work for good. And notice how this little girl shows up in Scripture. No, we don't know her name yet. But she is recorded in Scripture as the great heroine of this story. Let us not, let us not uh, so look at the great and mighty, you know, the powerful of the world, to, to think that we can accomplish God's uh, purposes for the gospel expansion through, you know, great and wealthy and mighty uh, institutions and people, to remember that God delights to use the low, uh, least esteemed people of the whole earth to accomplish his good purposes Indeed, even you and me, to accomplish his good purposes for his glory. And that's how this story ends. I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this wonderful section of your scripture to remind us that you are a God of the fatherless, a father to the orphan, and you care for the widow and those who are in desperate needs. You do not forget them, though the world in its mighty may forget and may despise such people. You do not. Instead, you honor them. We think of Mary and how she, too, was a little girl at the time of the conception, but you have uh, blessed her. And in her, we have a Savior through whom all of this redemption is accomplished. I thank you for this story and for this truth. We pray that in the uh, providence that we find ourselves in and in your guiding, you would help us to hold fast to this good confession that she models here for us. Give us strength, O Lord, for our daily living in this world full of many... uh, Raiders who would uh, steal us of our prized possessions on this earth so that when these things happen to us, we too can confess there is no God in all the earth but our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2007 Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.